it. Some of you are really forcing that smile. I can see it, but it is okay. You are here today, and I am so excited to be here with you. Um, Welcome to church. Happy Sunday. Happy month of July. July 1st. We made it. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. I get really excited about July because I love 4th of July. I love a good hot dog with ketchup and mustard on it and fireworks. Um, So I get excited about that, but it also is kind of upsetting for me because I feel like July is that check-in. Like, okay, how seriously have I been taking my summer? And I realize I have not been to the pool once. Anyone else with me? You're like, I had big dreams for this summer and I have not achieved them yet. But um, I'm just so excited to be with you today. Uh, My name is Cody. Like Pastor Russ said, Pastor Allen, our lead pastor, is on a well-deserved vacation this week. Um, And I'm so honored that he would allow me to come and speak to you today, especially on a day that he is not even in the building. That is real trust. So thank you, Pastor Allen. I hope I will not disappoint. But um, again, my name's Cody. I serve on the team here um, at New Life. I get to serve with our connections, which basically means if you are a first-time guest, I am that really high-pitched voice that left you a voicemail. So I'm glad that you are back today. Um, Also, I get to serve with our incredible Connect team who you saw hold open the door for you this morning. Um, They're amazing, as well as with our small group leaders. And so we are launching small groups again in about six weeks. So I'm excited. It's been a busy time. It's been a good time. Um, But I just love that I get to be a part of all that God's doing here and to be here in this capacity with you today. So I hope that you're ready. I hope you've had some coffee this morning and that you are energized because I've been up for a while and I've had a few shots of espresso. So I am ready to go and I hope that you are too. Will you look at your neighbor and say, are you ready? And now shake the neighbor you ignored a little bit and be like, I know you're ready. Okay. It's going to be a great day today. I have um, a really specific teaching for you today um, that I believe that God has put on my heart to share with you. And, um, and I really feel like this word applies to everybody, no matter where you are in your life. And, and part of what I get to do, which I love, is just to welcome the new families and the new people. And part of that is seeing all different people from all different places of life. And I feel like there's this perception that we have to clean up and come into church all put together and put on a nice little pretty show for everybody. And I want to let you know, you can just drop that today. Today's message is going to be for everybody, however you are, however you came in. And if you love Jesus and you have been a believer of Jesus for years, this message is going to be for you because it is going to teach you and sharpen you and maybe stretch you out of your comfort zone a little bit, which how many know that's good? And if you don't know Jesus, if you're like, hey, I'm kind of new to this church thing, or I'm just here because someone made me come, this message is for you, because we're talking about who Jesus is and the life that he lived, and I'm excited for you to know a little bit more about the man that came down and saved us and that we love so much. And so I'm excited for you to see a little perspective into his life. So I hope you're ready today. My prayer is that God would speak to you because he still speaks today. Um, We just have to be open and willing um, to receive it. And so before I even get started, I just want to pray because I want to get out of the way. I can stand up here all morning and be funny and be silly and try to captivate you and keep your attention. But all of that is a waste unless God speaks to you today. And so I just want to pray and I want to invite you to pray too and to invite God into your heart and into your spirit in this moment because he wants to speak with you. Amen. Will you bow your heads with me today? 
Lord, we love you so much. We thank you that you love us and you see us and you choose us every day. Despite what we've done, despite what we came in here with, Lord, that you love us and you desire to speak with us today. And so, Father, I just pray that I would get out of the way and that you would move however you want to move and you would speak and say whatever you want to say. And there would be less of me and more of you. I thank you, God, that you are strength in our weakness. And so, Father, today I just pray for every single person in this room whether someone believes they can hear from you or not, that they would have an open spirit and heart and mind today to receive exactly what you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So how many of you in here would consider yourselves a millennial? Okay, you know what I love about this moment is when I say, hey, how many of you consider yourselves a millennial? And it's like that really slow, shameful hand raising because there's a lot of really bad connotation that goes along with millennials. Thanks, Tom. Can we just give it up for Tom? Tom on the keys, everybody. What a rock star. Tom's not a millennial. Um, But you know what? (laughs) Let me tell you, there's a bad connotation that goes along with millennials, which is why there's some like shame there. And I have to tell you, I am a millennial. I know it's hard to believe because I look so young and hip. And it's like, wow, you're already a millennial? No, okay. Um, But millennials, when you hear that, I feel like I'm also kind of part of the next generation, the Generation Z people that are coming up. Because I'm like right on the cusp. So I feel like I'm kind of dipping my toes in there. So I'm like mature enough to kind of understand both sides and evaluate them wisely. Um, but what's so funny is when you hear the word millennial, what do we think of? I'll help you. Um, lazy, no amount of work ethic, obsessed with technology, always on their phone, no real personal drive, doesn't ever want to get up early or really do anything, obsessed with Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat, and they've just really taken over the whole online shopping world. I mean, everything they do is on those iPhones, right? Those are some of the things we think about when we think about millennials. However, I want to point out and kind of defend the millennials for a minute because even though millennials might have started some of that, all of society has kind of adapted to it and also jumped on board. Okay, so I know some of you in here are on Facebook all the time. I feel like every time I get on, like, there's the same people that are green all the time. Like, they're active. And I'm like, how are you still on? It's been nine hours, right? (laughs) And some of you also, I know there's people in this room, grown adults, who take way more selfies than any middle school or high school student I've ever seen, okay? And not only that, but I feel like we've all jumped on that online shopping trend. Like, every person in here has used Amazon, probably. And, you know, the thing is, we kind of jump onto even some of the crazier stuff. Like, some of you in here have those little robot vacuums that vacuum your house, and you don't press it around, and you're like, oh, but millennials have no work ethic. And then, and then, this is really the kicker for me. This is where I draw the line. There's the online grocery shopping. Have y'all seen this? You can go, look, we have some fans that are like, amen. You can go online and buy your groceries and go park your car, and someone will literally load your groceries into your car. It's, it's fascinating. And then we have people that are like, oh, the millennials are so lazy. But you park your car, and you're like, Walmart, I'm here. Like, bring me my groceries. Right? And so I feel like this progression that everyone's kind of jumped onto, we blame the millennials, but we love it. Like, we love what's new and what's next and whatever's going to make our life more convenient and more easy. We're all about it. Right? 
Um, so what I find is interesting about this is that Generation Z, the people coming up behind the millennials, are kind of rebelling against some of these things. And it's interesting because what they consider new isn't actually new at all. I don't know if you've realized that, you know, the 80s and 90s are really making a comeback and they're kind of like reaching into the past. That's their version of new. I'm talking like there are middle schooler and high school students wearing mom jeans and they're rocking them. I mean, they look cute. I won't lie. But I'm like, I just look at that and I'm like, wait, my mom literally wore those when I was little and now everyone else is wearing them. And they have those big, you know, antique glasses that are like this large that my grandpa wore with the wire. You know what I'm talking about? They're just wearing them like to Walmart and thinking it's so cool. And they're drinking out of Coke, like glass bottle Cokes and taking pictures with them. And I'm like, what is happening? What is going on? But the thing that is so crazy, y'all, when we were at Passion Camp a couple weeks ago, David Crowder was there and he was selling cassette tapes cassette tapes and the students went crazy they were like oh I have to get a cassette tape it's so in right now and I'm like are you kidding me like are you kidding me and it's crazy and so but they are loving it and it's like all of this new stuff but how many of us know the new stuff isn't actually new right it's actually old um and so the title of my message today is what's new look at your neighbor and say what's new But don't answer it because we have some things to get to. So the title of the message today is, What's New? And I look up the dictionary definition of new, and it describes it as different and better. Different and better. That's the definition of new. And so when I think about society and the direction that we're going, everything seems to be new and better. But I have this feeling that us as Christians have kind of created this way of reaching people that we believe is new and better that might not actually be as effective as we think it is. So we're kind of jumping on this train of social media and what's cool and what's next. And, and we have believed the lie that in order to show everyone we love Jesus, we need to post it on our social media or put a car sticker on or make sure everyone knows we attend church or we give or we're on a serve team and I love Jesus. And we believe that this is going to be testimony enough and that that is what's going to change people because everyone's going to know you love Jesus. But that's actually not how Jesus operated at all in his life. If that was the case, Jesus would have come down on a white horse with car stickers all over it and tweeted like, I'm here, guys. And, you know, come down and been like, look at me. I'm Jesus. Isn't it awesome? Aren't I changing your life right now? Right? But don't we do that? We're like, oh, I go to church. Look at my car sticker. Look, I share the verse of the day every day on Instagram. Everyone should know I love Jesus. But that's actually not effective the way that we think it is. And when we look at the life of Jesus, how did he come? He came and he did life with people. He invested in people. He served people. He loved people. His life was unique and fierce and different and radical and amazing. That's how Jesus impacted the world. And it wasn't just what he said. That's huge. It wasn't just what he said because it was what he did and who he spent time with and the way that he carried himself. And I believe if you were to take away all of Jesus's teachings and what was left was just his life, it would still be not normal and completely amazing. And so I wonder today 
If we were to take away all of the persona that we shoot out, that we are Christ-like people and we love Jesus, and if we took all that away, would our life really look like his? Would our life still reflect Jesus? And that's the question today. I think that maybe instead of trying to keep up with our society and do what's new and better, that this next generation's kind of on to something, and what's new isn't actually new. Because the new way of reaching people in our mind is to use all of these platforms, which, yes, that's effective. Going to church is great. Being on a surf team is great. Tithing is being obedient. All those things are good. It's great to use your social media platform for the glory of God and not to post, you know, a sandwich you ate every day. But that's fine, too. You know, but we believe that this new way is what's effective. And I think the new way is actually the old way. Because before all this stuff happened, how would we know that someone loved Jesus? By their fruit, right? They'd be loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind. Honestly, when I look at a lot of Christians today, including myself, that's not really the persona I give off most of the time. I'm about me and mine and the next best thing and I got to hurry and I got to keep going. And so today I really want to dive into four characteristics of Jesus' life that I believe if we took on and we fully embraced today, that we would make much more of a difference than if we just continue to do the new thing we think is working. So are you ready? All right, let's dive in. If you're taking notes, um, I would love to see you doing that. What Pastor Russ said earlier is that note takers are history makers, and so I feel like these practical ideas are things that you can apply and hold on to um, throughout the rest of your life. So please take some notes. Um, This is not me. This is Jesus's life, and so let's dive in. Number one is to deny yourself. Deny yourself. Now, if you have been in church for a long time, you've heard this before. You're like, oh, I know. I have to deny myself. And Luke 9, 23 says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Another version says, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. And we hear this, right? All the church people say, Yes, deny myself and take up my cross. But what does this really mean? What does it mean to truly deny yourself? Well, I can tell you what Cody wants is probably not the way that Jesus would act. So a lot of times I have to deny myself and my feelings and my attitude. And some days I just wake up in a bad mood and I don't really feel like being kind. But if I deny what Cody wants and what Cody feels and I behave in the way like Jesus would, I'm probably going to be a lot more effective for him, right? For instance, Cody, despite popular belief, does not like to smile or be joyful before a cup of coffee in the morning. I don't. I don't like to do that. But Jesus didn't say coffee was a prerequisite for being obedient. So I probably need to deny myself of that sometimes and say, hey, if I'm going to have a conversation with someone, I don't get the right to be rude to them because I haven't had a cup of coffee yet. Right? In the same way, um, one of my other favorite examples is when you're driving down the road, it's been a long day, and you're like, I just can't wait to get home, and your phone rings, and you see that person calling, and you know it's going to be like a 30-minute conversation, and you're just like, oh, no, I'm not going to answer it. I can't do this right now. I have plans. I need to get home. But you know what? Jesus would always take time to care for other people, and so even though Cody wants to go home and take a nap or maybe eat dinner, Cody should probably deny herself and pick up the phone because someone might really need her, 
right? Denying ourselves. These are silly examples, but what about more serious things? Like when's the last time you denied yourself for someone else's good? When's the last time you denied yourself the desire to have the last word in an argument? That one's hard for me. When's the last time that you denied that extra 10 to 15 minutes of the snooze button because you knew you needed to get up and have a quiet time, but you're like, no, I've been working really hard. I need, I need my sleep. When's the last time you denied yourself that third Krispy Kreme donut, right? It doesn't feel good to deny ourselves because we want what we want. But if you look at the life of Jesus, the person that we're trying to reflect and look like and be a witness of, his entire life and ministry was denying himself. And not only that, he was denying himself of things that he rightfully deserved. He rightfully deserved to sit next to God on a throne, but he denied himself for the good of humanity. When's the last time that we have denied ourselves and things haven't been all about me and mine? Philippians 2, 4 says, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Talk about denying yourself, right? Don't look out only for your own interests. Is that not society today? We're all about ourselves all the time. And we're so consumed with what we want. But Galatians 2.20 is very clear. And it says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. Cody no longer has a say in if she wants to be grumpy. She doesn't. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If people around me aren't moved by my Christ or my church, then I must be doing a really poor job of representing both of them. Because they're probably getting a big dose of Cody in the flesh and how she's selfish and how she's grumpy and how she's sinful instead of that fact that I died to myself and I'm shining a light of Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean perfection, but those two things look a lot different, right? So, I believe that Jesus will be known a lot more when we deny ourselves and people who are filled with the Holy Spirit start looking more like Jesus in this way. Number one is to deny yourself. Number two, be generous without reservation, Be generous without reservation. And at this point, people tense up and they get a little defensive, like, oh, she's going to tell me that I need to tithe my 10%. Well, Cody, you don't even know I do tithe. I do. I give. But guess what? I'm not even talking about tithing biblically because, again, this is what we're talking about of ways that we reach outside of these four walls. So if your coworker who's lost and doesn't know Jesus and has never experienced him, you tell them, well, I give 10% to my church, that's not going to make a difference in their life. So I'm talking about the spirit of generosity. How was Jesus generous? He was generous with his time. His entire time on earth was living and serving other people. He developed 12 disciples around him throughout his entire life and ministry. He was generous with his attention. When's the last time you were generous with your attention? When's the last time you had a conversation with someone that wasn't shared with what was going on on your phone or what was happening on your television? Or maybe you don't have any devices in your hand, but you're thinking about all the other things you have to do and you're not really engaged in the conversation. 
Jesus was generous with his attention, and he was generous with his treasures, with what God gave him and entrusted to him. Listen, I could go to a restaurant and tell my waitress all about Jesus and be like, he loves you, you know, he, he has a plan for you, and um, I just well, want to bless you right now and pray for you, and I'm going to tip you one dollar. Do you think that person is ever going to want to come to church or be a part of anything having to do with Jesus? No, because again, the words mean one thing, but our actions and our spirit and what pours out of us mean a whole different thing. And we talk about generosity so much in the church world, and that is good, and that is obedience, and that is important. But I believe there's a very clear picture of what God expects out of our generosity outside of these four walls in Matthew 25. And it's Matthew 25, verse 32 through 40, and it says, All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. And I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. And I was sick, and you looked after me. And I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, well, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger or needing clothes? When did we see you sick or in prison? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And I believe we have this haunting idea of what Jesus is going uh, to say on judgment day. And like, oh, I remember that one time you lied or how you were disobedient in this area and what you did wrong. But isn't it interesting that in this moment, he doesn't shame the goats for what they didn't do. No, he praised the sheep for what they did do. It's more like a sin of neglect, knowing what you should have done and not acting on it. That is what generosity looks like. When's the last time you were generous to someone really in need? And when's the last time you denied yourself to help someone who needed it? And I believe something that we do, and this is myself included, I feel like a lot of times we try to make excuses as to why we're not generous, and we kind of put ourselves up next to Jesus on the judgment scale, and we say, hmm, they look like they're faking it. They look like maybe they actually aren't homeless. They look like, you know, if I gave them money, they would go spend it on drugs, or if I bought them a breakfast sandwich, I mean, I could help them, but maybe the next day they'll just turn around and do whatever they want to do. But Jesus was generous without reservation, without any, any judgment. You know, Jesus, it says, it sounds awful, but we do this, right? But Jesus makes it very clear. I truly tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you did for me. So if you're wondering if you should be generous, think about if that person was Jesus. Would you be generous then? Jesus gave it all for everybody, even those who were undeserving, Jesus washed the feet of Judas knowing that he would betray him. Jesus gave his life and died for people who he knew would never accept him and spit in his face. And yet he still gave, and he gave without reservation. And I believe a way that we can look like him today is to do the same thing. Number three, be willing to be interrupted. This is a huge one. Be willing to be interrupted. We are always so busy. 
moving on to the next thing, doing the next thing, running through the grocery store, running through the drive-thru, zooming through the lobby on Sunday mornings. That is me. I am guilty. I am not speaking from a place of perfection. I'm speaking through a work in progress. I know some of you have seen me on a Sunday and you're like, good morning, Cody. And I'm like, I gotta go. So I apologize for that because that is when the Lord does some of his most incredible work, when we allow interruptions in our lives. And trust me, I know that life gets crazy. Some of you in here, especially those of you that have children, I don't know how you do it. I mean, you have like sometimes four or even five. I see people with five children, and I'm like, Lord, I don't know. I don't know how they do it. And they are running to soccer practice, to dance recitals, to baseball games, all these things. And you still have to do the laundry, and then you have to go to the grocery store, and then you have to run them through a drive-thru. And then some of these crazy moms get up at 5 a.m. to work out before they do all of it. I just don't get it. And it's hard, right, because we pile so many things onto our schedule and we're always busy. But I love that Jesus paints this picture in Luke 19. And it's in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Now pause. I'm going to stop right there. How many know when you are passing through, you have no intention to stop and you have no intention to stay? That is Jesus. He is passing through. He doesn't, he's on a mission. I like to think this as the um, grocery store method. Like, okay, I have 10 minutes and I have three items and I'm going to go in and out and I'm going to go as fast as I can. So you get out and you're walking into the grocery store, you're on a mission, and then the worst thing possible happens. You see Betty from the PTA out of the corner of your eye. And what do you do in that moment? You act like you didn't see her and you speed down another aisle because you're like, no, I'm on a mission right now. I have 10 minutes and three items and I don't have time to talk to Betty, right? So this is Jesus. He is passing through. He is on a mission. Verse two, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So not only did he engage with Betty, but he actually was like, I'm going to spend some time with you. Okay? So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, ooh, he's gone to the house of a sinner. Like Zacchaeus is a bad guy. Jesus is doing something crazy. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Now, does this mean when you see Betty at the grocery store, you need to say, Betty, I'm coming to your house tonight? No, not a good idea. But the point of this story is that Jesus, in the middle of passing through on a mission, took a moment to spend time with someone who needed to talk to him. Okay, and not only was this just someone, this was a sinner. The Bible makes it very clear. No one really liked this guy. So most of the time, we don't even pause long enough to give people we care about our attention, much less a sinner much less someone we don't care about. And because Jesus allowed for an interruption and spent time with Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus' whole life was turned upside down. It says, I'll give half my possessions. I'll give back what I cheated. And Jesus declares salvation over him. Why? Because in the midst of him passing through, he allowed an interruption. And I believe there's so many times that God wants to speak to you or move through you or use you, and we're too busy on our own schedule to have time to listen or to allow interruptions. 
And if we want to look like Jesus, his life was full of interruptions all the time. Whether that means someone screaming after him or reaching for his garment or lowering a sickbed through the roof, Jesus always had interruptions. And it was in those interruptions that God did some of his most incredible miracles, right? So allow God to introduce himself into your day and be willing to be interrupted. Are you with me still? All right, point number four, last but not least, is to become broken. Become broken. This is a really hard one because Jesus literally became broken for us. But I believe today in the society that we live in, it can be really difficult to not become numb to all of the things that we hear all the time, right? It's no surprise when we hear about another shooting or a family that doesn't have food, or people that don't have water, or, you know, people in our own community that come to community serve every weekend or once a month, and, and we, we don't even think about it. Or, you know, oh, yeah, we're feeding a 1,000 lunches a day through Must Ministries, but it's the fact that all those kids don't have food during the summer. And I believe that because we have access to all of this information, we've kind of become calloused to some of these things. And we've kind of become numb to some of these things. And Jesus became literally broken, but he also became heartbroken for the people that he did life with and the people that he came to serve. And so I know that, you know, I know this because when we look at the Last Supper in Luke 22, 19, it says he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And what does that mean? Yes, do communion, take communion. But it's not just doing the action of communion. It's probably actually doing what communion represents, which is being broken and pouring yourself out to others around you, becoming a living offering, denying yourself for the greater good of people. And I believe that this new way of living in our society of what's new and cool isn't actually new at all, right? It's not that we're on our way and we're just thankful for Jesus and what he did before. No, it's a continual doing of picking up our cross, denying ourselves, being interrupted, being generous. It's a continual doing of being broken for humanity and pouring all that we have out for them. Our mission as Christ followers, the Bible says, is to go out and make disciples. Who did this better than anyone? Jesus. So go out and be like Jesus. Again, he didn't tell his disciples, hey, I'm Jesus. I'm speaking. I have a little sermon thing going on, and I have a car sticker. And I also also don't know if you saw my Facebook status um, that he answered one of my prayers. God did, so. No, he did life with them. He was with them all the time, denying himself, pouring himself out, being generous, serving his people, loving his people. That is the way that Jesus turned the whole world upside down. And I feel like adapting to what society says is Christianity, which is a comfortable life where we turn, you know, we come to church and we attend and we serve and we have a Bible app. That's not really as effective as we think it is as far as people seeing Jesus and being moved by him to say, hey, something's different about you. I don't know why you gave me that. I don't know why whenever I hang out with people, like you just seem like you're really invested in what I'm saying. Why is that? You know, I I grabbed you in the middle of something and you stopped what you were doing and you were attentive to me. 
And when I told you about what was happening in my family, I saw the tears well up in your eyes because you became broken for me. Those are the ways that we're going to show the light of Christ. And so I believe that the generation coming up has it right, that the new thing isn't really new at all. It's the old way that Jesus lived that somehow has gotten lost in the progression. And we're going to sing a song this morning called New Wine. And this is talking about wine in the biblical sense of blessing and anointing. And I love that the picture the Bible makes of this transformation of how a grape, in order to become wine, has to be crushed and pressed and become uncomfortable in order to produce blessing and anointing. And these things that we've talked about this morning aren't comfortable. It doesn't always feel good to deny ourselves. It doesn't always feel good to stop what we're doing for an interruption. And it definitely doesn't feel good to become broken. But how many of us know when we're obedient in this way and we look like Jesus in this way and we allow him to work on us and work on our hearts that his greatest blessing and anointing is on the other side. And so this morning, in a moment, we're going to stand and and today's response is going to be a little different than normal because I want to give you the opportunity to respond however you want to. Whether that means you're singing and worshiping or you're reflecting on, hey, what are some of the ways that I think I've been really effective for the kingdom that I just haven't been? Or what are some ways in the message today that I'm like, man, I really need to do this. I really don't look like Jesus in this area. And finally, I want to invite you, if you feel comfortable when we start to sing, to come and take communion. And to not let this communion be a one-time thing, but a reminder that it's a continual doing of what we're doing every day as Christ followers. Would you stand with me?